This is the podcast, Putting on a Coat of Colors. This podcast is a community storytelling project of Coat of Colors, a council of Cathedral of Hope, United Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Our hope is that this podcast will make room for persons of color and their white allies who are both gay and straight to tell their joys and frustrations, to tell their sense of belonging and their sense of exclusion, to celebrate our uniqueness to the larger community and celebrate our commonalities, and to invite members of the larger community to join in this purpose. Thank you for listening. Now let's get started. Here is our podcast host, Thomas Riggs. In the second part of the podcast conversation between Julie and Cassandra, Julie shares some of her takeaways from their book study about the book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown and the conversation that ensued. Julie gets a little closer look into the life of her friend Cassandra when the book knowledge became more real for her. And like last time, there are three other participants in this podcast, specifically two dogs named Harry and Luna and a cat named Oreo. And again, you're going to hear the tinkling of the dogs' name tags when they shake their heads and they're panting when they're being petted. And you'll hear the cat meowing in protest once again. Like last time, just everyone is invited to this podcast. Well, the, one of the pieces that I found pretty interesting is the fact that, and my memory isn't great, so she was either raised in a white family or ran in circles with mostly white folks. At working, yes, in her Christian life. I think her dad mostly, it was a, a black family, but then she kind of had both sides of church. Um, dad's church and mom's church and then she went to go work in in churches and it was mostly white spaces yeah so I was thinking about my experience with with people of color um, from really and I told you this in the book study really from college on because I grew up in a town that was all white Mm -hmm. and um, I ran track so I had experiences with with other black girls Mm -hmm. but the people that I've been friends with over the years that are black were typically in the Air Force I mean their parents were in the military Mm -hmm. or they grew up in a white community and I, I I think it's just the way I'm able to meet folks Mm -hmm. Um, obviously in the work setting it's been more diversified, you know, people from different backgrounds, black folks from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. One of the things I recall was people saying, especially specifically white people in the study was, I just didn't know what I didn't know. Because it just felt like every week it was, I just didn't know what I didn't know. There were a lot of things that people just didn't really think about, so I didn't need to think about them. Yeah, I I had, um, I would say I've had book knowledge in racial training um, because I took women's studies in college and there was a whole course on um, black feminists. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and at, in another denomination I've been involved with, uh, the group was called White People Healing Racism. I don't know how I feel about that name, but um, <laughs> basically it was allies. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like I've done my, my book work, but hearing the experiences, the, the lived experiences of the black folks in that group was way important to me. And at work, you know, I, I um, serve a predominantly um, African-American population. Yeah. Um, gender minority folks. Yeah. So I think it's really important for me to have an awareness. Um, but at the same time, it's nothing like when you were talking about your boys driving across the state mm. or the country and just being on pins and needles till they got there. I have two two boys and I, I've never had to worry about that. Maybe for other reasons, because they're exactly. inattentive or you know, exactly. I get I get worried but it but not a life and death thing like, like mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's just continuous, right? For for me I've, I've and even your response is a lovely response compared to some of the responses that I would share with people at work or something about, you know, being really concerned about him because, you know, this and it'd be like, you know, well, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned too. Like, you know, I worry about my voice too. I worry. And so a lot of times they're just kind of met with, yeah, I understand. I'm not minimizing that we're all worried about our children being safe and things, but I'm like hoping that they don't get stopped for no reason at all and get pulled out of the car and something happens bad and they don't make it back to me. Um, so sometimes those things get dismissed away um, in the course of our days. Mm -hmm. I remember um, how that became so real to me when I watched um, Sandra Blanton. Yes, Sandra Blanton. was mm -hmm. in Houston. Mm -hmm. I watched the video of that um, pullover and just from the get-go, the injustice of how she was treated, um, it became so real because it was real life. Absolutely. And I felt like I, I was there, not there in her shoes, but feeling the trauma of that situation. Mm -hmm. And it was like a train go going off the track, and it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I just have a strong sense of justice, and I, I don't ever want to be lazy or sleepy around race because it's, it's too important. I'm so thankful for that. I think one of the questions I asked was, when was the time when doing nothing was no longer an option? Remember I asked that in like week four or five or something. Yes. You know? The Sandra Blanton thing got me into sort of a new level, mm -hmm. but um, I don't remember what my answer was, but then. I, I was intentional about, because I grew up in an all-white community, I was intentional about not repeating that in my adulthood mm -hmm. and not repeating that for my children. Yeah. Um, so... 
my kids have gone to public school in Houston and their friends are of the rainbow. Mm -hmm. And I think they're so much better for it. I think so too. I mean, my kids, have, I'm a military kid, so it was different because we always had all different races around us on base. Um, very different than, you know, when you come out into the civilian world. Um, and so the thing that's always been a challenge, I think, for black middle class families, right? Each family wants to do better. All of our ancestors fought so we could go to schools and they would be integrated and we could do all these different things. And then you get them out there in suburbs and then you don't want them to not know that you aren't just like all of your buddies. So, you know, there was a time when my oldest got pulled over just speeding or something or one of the guys in the car actually wasn't even speeding. He was in the left lane. Um, three other white boys in the car with him, one of them in the passenger back seat was hanging his hand out of the car or talking or something to the older guy that was on his motorcycle. As a police car was coming up, the motorcycle guy tells the cop, yeah, there's those little kids over there, go get them. Right? They're teenagers or whatever. Like, they're annoying me. So when they pull over, you know, the guys in, in the back can spout off things and, you know, be sassy and smart alecky. And Chase is driving. Like, he is the driver of this car. So they gave him warnings. They let them go. But when I got to the house, everybody was sat down. It was a talking to for everybody about how you can do what you want and you can pull this and you can do that, but you can't do that to him because they're not going to treat him like they treat you. And, you know, the eyes were open really wide and they were just, it was like, you, you need to understand. There was a difference, period. Right. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing for... For the boys to know but they've also always had the talk you know and i know that the talk is you know became um you know not popular but people were aware that we've been given the talk and been given the talk to our children for years for years and years and years yeah yeah and that's a talk i didn't have to give my kids because of their privilege Thank you for listening to this edition of Putting on a Coat of Colors. This podcast is a community storytelling project of Coat of Colors, a Council of Cathedral of Hope, United Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Cathedral of Hope is the largest predominantly LGBTQIA congregation in the world. Our church has a strong community presence and global reach through its online ministry. We self-identify as a church that is progressive inclusive, and social justice-minded. You can find out more about Cathedral of Hope at www.cathedralofhope.com. In the mission statement of Code of Colors, we assert that through faith, hope, and love, Code of Colors is a council for all people that seeks to decrease the cultural divide and increase a multicultural presence in the church and the community. You can find out more about the outreach programs of this group by searching Code of Colors on Facebook. That's spelled C-O-L-O-U-R-S. And request to join the group.